everybody. Welcome to a new episode of our podcast where we ask the question, Hey. 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 Do you remember the odds? Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> what year is it? I'm Courtney. And this is Thomas. And we talk about everything from the 2000s, from when your Happy Meals would include gender-specific toys to VHS copies of Jurassic Park number three. That's right. They, I remember the, the very gender-specific toys. Yeah, right? I got Barbie dolls. Woo. Also, uh, Free Britney. Yep. Free Britney, guys. Just do it. We were really mean to Britney in the 2000s. And um, also, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast a bunch because as much as we love the aughts, there was a real, unreal, a real, real rampant amount of misogyny in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that a lot when I watched Free Britney. Just I mean, I'm sorry, how... it's not called Free Britney, but I feel like it should be called Free Britney. It's Framing Britney. <laughs> Free Britney! Um, and also, like, even with Paris Hilton, you know, I feel like what happened was we were going after these women who were also actually just, like, slaves to misogyny. Yeah, and stuck it's, perpetuating uh, these things. Yeah. It's ironic that we especially like the attitude era and like you know being cool and whatnot Mm -hmm. it's weird how almost puritanical some of these acts were like criticizing someone like the fact that paris hilton had a sex tape like sex sells it was scandalous but it wasn't necessarily a positive reflection and it's weird to think that like people who thought more either liberal or free of themselves we're definitely judging people on a very puritanical sense of understanding. And I mean, we can even talk about that with Megan Fox. Like when Megan Fox did. Oh yeah. When, when I've watched interviews with her uh, long after because Jennifer's body has become such a cult classic and she loves that. Yes. And she still like talks to you know, people about it. She talked to Eli Roth on his horror show about it. It's mm-hmm. I love I love Megan Fox, but I definitely know that like when I was a young dumb kid in high school, I definitely had an attitude. And it's like, was I really trying to attack her from some misogynistic perspective? Not really, but that was this that was the cultural thing at the time. Like that was very much like and she even says it herself. She goes, you know, I saw myself as a feminist and it sucked seeing people who yeah. were profound literary feminists attacking me for roles where oh. I would, you know, it's like, it's really, we really had this harsh, and I think there's still unfortunately kind of a little leftover of that, but I think we're trying to be yeah. more nuanced. Yeah, I found recently on, um, I think it was like vintage shit, picture, shit posting or something like that, but there are some like old school instagram accounts where you get to see like you know old photos of celebrities and somebody posted one of paris hilton when she was modeling at 18 and it was before this persona and she looked really beautiful like i was really amazed at how beautiful she looked and then i realized that 
you know, who she played in the 2000s was a brand. It wasn't necessarily who she is as a person. There are multiple complexities to her, just like any other female, Um, like any other individual that just happens to be in the spotlight. So I think that, you know, people like Britney Spears and Paris Hilton, we and Megan Fox and Amy Winehouse and Lindsay Lohan, like we spent so much time attacking them for representing this thing instead of realizing that they have to play along, they have to do this thing. It's not their choice. They don't want to be a part of this. And then after and then going after who the actual perpetrator uh, was of creating these personas. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, speaking of Paris Hilton, I think there's a YouTube documentary about her now. Um, There is. I just don't want to pay for it. That's fair. Well, instead of paying for that, I recommend uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels, Wang. Justin Mm -hmm. Wang did a video recently on the story of the Paris Hilton sex tape. Mm. And to his credit, I think Justin Wang gave a really good breakdown of the entire series of events of what that led up to happen and he mm-hmm. gave a very fair and very i think very nice and respectful like post analysis about paris hilton where he talks about her playing a role and how at the time because you know the, justin wang's whole thing is he goes to the internet archives and talks about stories from the internet so mm-hmm. it was fascinating to see just how this thing fucking happened and he's mm-hmm. like you know because there is the question, like, do we believe what Paris Hilton says? And he goes, to be honest, yeah. He goes, given all the evidence, you know, and looking at where she is now, he goes, there's definitely a criticism we can have on how society right. behaved at that time. So shout out. He doesn't need, you know, he doesn't really need my shout out. But still, uh, if you don't want to pay for the Paris Hilton documentary, just watch the yeah. Justin, Van- Justin Wang video. It's very good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think the fact that she's coming out about a lot of her experiences that she's had, like, you know, um, like her experiences in boarding school, and she's speaking up for her friend Britney Spears as well, I think it's really important that we listen to her point of view, and, um, you know, like, as somebody who definitely perpetrated that in the aughts, it it doesn't come from an anger specifically with those people. What it came from was an anger of... Like, people who feel like we weren't being represented, and there are plenty of people who can feel that way, like, ten times over, compared to, like, what I was feeling as, like, an angsty brunette emo girl. (laughs) Yeah. Um, who is now blonde, but, um... Blonde. Yeah. Yes, blonde. I think that there's a lot to learn and listen to when we hear these perspectives from female artists who had to face these certain identities in the 2000s because who are we to not listen to them like any less than we would like men well, yeah. in, the, in the media, you know? Yeah. Just listen well, to them. Just give yeah. it a try. <laughs> My thing, and the one thing I, I thought about mm-hmm. is, because especially when I was watching the Wang video about the sex tape, there was definitely... Really, the like the whole thing started and happened because of slimy men around Paris Hilton. Right. And an interesting thought I had is like, okay, I was like, there's definitely reasonable adults and human beings and people around Paris Hilton. And mm-hmm. I would say responsible and respectable men. But mm-hmm. I think that the problem is, is that 
these slime, like these slime balls, like they were look. I mean, they were kind of looking for their fifteen minutes of fame or to exploit yeah. something for cash. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the biggest issues was they were not, like these are even back then. These guys were slime balls. Like people did not look fondly on these men, but they got away with it because we kind of just turned a blind eye to them. And would look right. at the girl and be like, how did you get involved with this? I know. Exactly. That's what I mean is, like, it's always spun around spun around on being the woman's fault. And it's, like, maybe just for once. Like, let's let's do it. Let's listen to these people and see what they have to say. You know? Yeah. Because it's, like, no one likes the guy who released the tape. But at the same time, right. we can't just, like, we can't just be like, oh, he's a slime ball. But why did you do it? It's, like, no, 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 we got to think back. Because she was also, I didn't realize this. She was 19 when that tape was made. Oh my God, 19. that's so young. Like, that's really upsetting to hear from, like, a 29-year-old man's perspective. Like, what the fuck? That's <laughs> she was crazy. 19. I didn't look like that at 19. That's crazy. I'm just, like, thinking about... I always think about this, like, how age looks different on different people. I don't Um, look like that now. Right. (laughs) I didn't know that she was only 19. When you're a kid, you just see celebrities, and you're like, they're old. They're adults. Um, And also, at that point, like, what do you do? Do you say you're embarrassed, you're humiliated, that was such a stupid mistake on your part? Or do you do what she did and you capitalize on it? Yeah, and there's a it's a it's a weird timing of events because I know it took like the tape was made I think in two thousand one, but it didn't like exp- like the scandal and then her show didn't happen until like a few years later. Mm-hmm. So, which I- by the way, I've heard excerpts of from these like two thousands Instagram pages, and the shit that they say is hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's actually comedy gold. Yeah. Like, uh, Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie were actually creating a very informative performance art piece, and nobody was paying attention. Yeah, that's true. Um, what a different yeah. time. But, um, it's yeah, again, check out the Wang video if you don't want to watch the, the Paris Hilton documentary. I did think about watching it, though. I think it's good to reflect on these things that have happened and how we participate in celebrity culture i think part of it is because we don't have royalty like we don't have a royal family so we look up to these hollywood icons as people to either destroy or to put on a pedestal and or both at the same time yeah it's the fame of celebrity is a fascinating one especially in america Mm -hmm. i mean it's not just i mean it's we have a very uniquely american brand of it but i mean i think of even like, like with um, Japanese icons, like the role of being an icon in Japan and just how intense and regulated that is. Because like the modern day version mm-hmm. of what an icon would have been is now like, you know, a K-pop star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I was going to say when I watched Framing Britney, what was strange was to see footage from an earlier documentary that I had watched after her breakdown in 2007, and I remember watching that documentary at the time, putting, you know, Jamie Spears as this knight in shining armor who's come to save his daughter and fix 
everything. So at the time, like, you're just led to believe, like, oh, look, her dad stepped in. That's so nice. He's making her grits for breakfast. And now, looking at the New York Times documentary, which has Joe Cascarelli in it, who I really like from podcast, um, you start to see, it's like, no, 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 no. Just because it's presented as this way. Like, just because a dad says, like, every Southern girl loves grits. Like, fuck you, dad. She's a pop star. If she wants to eat peanut butter and lollipops for breakfast, she can eat pop peanut butter and lollipops for breakfast all she wants. Like, you don't get to decide that for her. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so it was interesting to see, like, literal footage from this thing that happened in the 2000s, remembering how it was presented at that time, and then now, 10 plus years later, seeing what it really was, like, unpacking that same exact scene and seeing it as something completely different. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's bizarre. But that is well, not today's topic. <laughs> that was a great way to introduce something completely different. Yes. Well, it's sort of in the vein of Hollywood, but it's right. the... It's- it's definitely relevant to what we're talking about, In which way, is the yeah. odds overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have to cover Crossroads, Britney Spears' movie at some point. Oh, no. Oh, yes, Tom. Zoe Saldana's in it. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. All right. I think also there should be some space for movies that I can specifically watch. Yeah. And movies maybe you don't want to, and then movies that you definitely can watch and I don't want to. Courtney, I'm going to watch any movie you recommend, whether I want to watch it or not. Because yes. I will always have a good time. Um, Joe and I spent Valentine's Day watching episode two and three of Star Wars. And I think that this podcast has conditioned me to just enjoy and revel in watching terrible movies and making other people watch terrible movies. Well, I'm glad that you now see why I like Neil Breen. <laughs> no, that's that's different. That's completely different. <laughs> it's the same. I don't think so. He is an I think, artor. I think saying we should watch Crossroads eventually is very different than saying I like to make people watch Neil Breen movies. He is an artor. That's my hot take. We'll have to ask the people. <laughs> All right. But you know where you can rent Crossroads? Where can you rent Crossroads, Tom? You can rent it at Blockbuster. The name's Buster. Buster Sales. The start of more. The new Blockbuster. You want entertainment, Carl? I'll give you entertainment. Blockbuster, the hottest new releases are guaranteed on DVD. Yeah. But this is better! Much better! Better? It's, no, it's just some lame video that you shot at your house. Blockbuster. Let's say Blockbuster. Although it started in the 80s, I can definitely say that it's most interesting... The most interesting stories about Blockbuster take place in the aughts. And we grew up in the aughts going to Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So this is a very aughts-themed episode. I will kind of go over the brief history of Blockbuster to kind of paint mm-hmm. a picture, but uh, this is mostly going to be personal anecdotes and kind of the downfall of Blockbuster. Yeah, I would definitely say at least Blockbuster's demise was certainly in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. 
Which is weird because it's peak. Like peak blockbuster at its most successful was 2004. Right. And it right. just I mean, like slipped as soon as that. Yeah, yeah, 2004, it just went downhill from there. I do think before we start getting into the history, like the only way I can set the context for what happened to this company is like, you can't blame dinosaurs for not knowing what a meteor is or when it's going to hit. But this company had multiple options to step away from that meteor and be like, everything will work out. We will adapt to this meteor. And instead, they said, no, no, we will walk face forward into the meteor and let it destroy us. Well, it's so insane. And it's because these the executives legitimately thought that brand loyalty alone would be enough to keep Blockbuster afloat. Right. They just, they had multiple options throughout their entire company span to adapt and build and change things. And they just said, no, 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 we we will stick with what we've got and just continue to invest into the individual stores, which blows my mind. That's really where it felt. And then not only that, they invested into all these stores, but one of the main reasons they had a hard time was... Like, I'll get into it, but one of the main things they had over another company we will mention was these stores. So when you right. think when you think when they start their own, Blockbuster starts their own version of a mail order, that having all these local stores would make it work. But apparently, all these franchisees owners didn't want to do it. It's it blows my mind. It's crazy how. Yeah. They had so many opportunities. They had so many hands reached out to them, and they were just like, nope, we're good. Going with the dinosaurs. Exactly. It's There are some business moves that I get, but mm. a, definitely a lot that are just like, what, what was this? Right. So, and Tom. I, yes. Would you like to go into the history? Yes. Okay. I actually have very organized notes with giant bulletins. Fantastic. I have have here Blockbuster intro. Blockbuster started in 1985 by a man named David Cook, who was previously the business owner of a computer software company. That makes it even more embarrassing, but continue. In 1987, he sold part of the business to investors, and it was really in the 90s that Blockbuster kind of just blew up. In 1992, they expanded overseas. Nobody has the movie I want. Hey, if it's on video, Blockbuster probably has it. Our superstores have over 10,000 videos. Wow. I'll watch these fast and have them back tomorrow, I promise. Relax. At Blockbuster, you can keep your videos for three evenings, so take home plenty. And, and use our 24-hour quick drop. Do you have any children? Mm-hmm. Um, they. This is when they just started buying out. Like, this is when Blockbuster was on top, was in the 90s. Like, the... the Could you imagine take- Blockbuster in, like, Paris and Italy? Yeah. That's so weird to think about. I'm just like seeing the Blockbuster logo over the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Yeah. Blockbuster, this is because this is what they would do. They would essentially buy up mom and pop shops. Mm -hmm. Or they would, if the store didn't agree to sell to Blockbuster, they would put a Blockbuster across the street and it would inevitably kill the mom and pop shop. Which is kind of similar to what happened in our town. Yeah, that's, yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah. we went to the same Blockbuster. Right, so we went to Blockbuster, but also, just on the other side of the street, 
like just further down the road on Jericho Turnpike, you had Hollywood Video. Yes, all the way. Yeah, yes. I, mm-hmm. I kind of I did love Hollywood Video more. I did not. You I did for Blockbuster. Yeah, I never really mm. went in Hollywood Video. I used to go because Hollywood Video had a bigger horror section, and mm. whereas when Blockbuster switched. What's weird is I think, I could be wrong, but I think Hollywood Video adapted DVDs first. Okay. But they kept their VHS tapes on stock. So Blockbuster, when they converted to DVD, they got rid of all their VHS tapes. And there's horror stories I've heard from people who worked at Blockbuster. When they did the switchover, Mm -hmm. Blockbuster tried liquidating their VHS tapes. But when people weren't buying them, they literally were just instructed to take the tapes out back and smash them with hammers. Damn. Yeah. It's insane. Um, So they start to develop in 1992. They start hitting places internationally. What happens after that? Well, like, well, quick side note. Do you remember there was a small video store in Herrick's at the Herrick Shopping Center next to what now is H Mart? Do you remember that video store at all? I never went there. I don't know that video store. My mom and I, we used to walk to that video store. It was called Joe's Videos. It was a very small video store. But it, I just remember, that was one of my favorite memories, is walking to that video store. He had, like, painted murals of different cartoon characters walking around with VHS tapes. That's where I discovered, like, Jack Frost, the snowman horror movie. Every time I think of Jack Frost, I, I think that people are talking about the Michael Keaton movie, and then I realize no. they're not. We're talking about the the snowman killer, but um, right. But that store closed, I think, in the late nineties because of the competition from Blockbuster, which wasn't far away. Like That's... literally, because Blockbuster was right on Jericho Turnpike, right, in the same vicinity, right. Um, and nothing that has taken that spot from Blockbuster has been as successful since. No, but yeah. but. Mm-hmm. 1997, Netflix was founded. Here we go. This is where the story begins. And now we're on to the next chapter. In my notes, I have giant bulletin, all caps, four failures. Tom, when you first say Netflix comes, can you please add that song that goes like, dun, 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 dun. Dun 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 Yes, yeah. Okay, okay. Something like very dramatic that leads to the demise of Blockbuster. So I have four failures and I will add funny sound effects for each each bulletin. There's actually five failures. I didn't update my notes, I'm sorry. So many failures. No, it's okay, go ahead. Many failures. So failure number one. 2000s Netflix deal. This is the story that everybody knows. Everybody knows this story. Courtney, you know this story. Mm-hmm. In 2000, Blockbuster had considered purchasing Netflix for $50 million, but decided not to. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Why not, Tom? They didn't. Well, there's mul- There is actually 
this one, there is a little nuance to it. There's two reasons why they chose not to, but one of the, the more egotistical reason is they legitimately thought that people would just choose Blockbuster due to brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. But one, this reason kind of leaks into number two, and this is a story I didn't learn until last night. What were you going to say about the Blockbuster deal? Oh, the Netflix deal, sorry. Well, what I was going to say was that um, it's been rumored that the head of Netflix, I think his name is um, Reen Hastings, mm-hmm. that he was laughed out of the meeting. Probably. Yeah. That's insane. They really were convinced that uh, Netflix wouldn't be successful. And then I remembered recently their commercial, their very first commercial, and maybe this leads into your second reason, but I remember how it was just like a guy on a couch and there's like a a video store behind him and he's like, you pick three movies, they send it to you, no late fees, and then when you're done, send them back, you get three more. And it just seemed like such a small... Um, a small system back then. It was. It was such a... Because that's how it started. I remember I did do a history dive into Netflix, and that could be its own episode. We should probably make that its own, but... We should, like the birth of Netflix. Yeah. So the reason this sounds appealing is because Blockbuster... What Blockbuster had over Netflix was the archives. Blockbuster already had all these movies on hand, and they had all these deals with all these movie companies because that's how these movie companies would make money by doing a revenue share with Blockbuster and video rental stores. So there was definitely this incentive like, hey, we've devised this shipping order deal. If we team up or you purchase us, we'll have the archives to make it successful. Mm-hmm. But Blockbuster, like you said, they they sort of scoff at it. And I think the problem is there was, from what I've done my research on, there was a handful of people at Blockbuster who were analyzing the change in markets and trying to make moves. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the big execs really just thought, hey, people like brick and mortar stores. They're going to come to us because of brand loyalty. And that's far from the truth. So that kind of creeps into failure number two. Okay. Enron. Have you heard of Enron? I have heard of Enron. <laughs> in 1999, a startup technology company which was dedicated to streaming video on demand. This is 1999. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine that. Like, imagine the idea of VOD in 1999. Well, also, I don't know if you've seen the interface at all that Enron made for Blockbuster's streaming service. Yeah. It was clunky. It was clunky, but it was it was something, you know? Like, it was something right. tangible. It was it clunky. Was. Yeah, but it was, but it was very something... off-putting. Yeah, it, yeah, it was actually really gross. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing is that they had they had made a partnership in two thousand. Mm-hmm. They had already made, the, and that's one of the reasons they kind of avoided the Netflix deal. There were some execs at Blockbuster who said that streaming would be the future or video you know, video on demand. Mm-hmm. But one of the big, I remember, I actually found an article from two thousand. I found a Forbes article from 2000 actually talking about this deal, which is insane because it gets like, no one thinks about this. It was called 
Enron Blockbuster, partner for Movie Mania. There was a little excitement in the industry, or at least in economics, of this potential. But like they even, it's weird because I don't exactly know what the Forbes article is saying, but you have to remember mm -hmm. this was written as this was happening, so they don't have a conclusive answer. Mm -hmm. But apparently there was like arguments internally about using DSL or cable to provide the service. But ultimately this deal that could have been revolutionary, Blockbuster just kind of gave up on. They gave up on the thing that they, this was one of the reasons they ignored the Netflix deal because they thought they had something better. And then they say, nah, we're good. Right. So I don't know if this is one of your points and feel free to jump to it if that's the case. But what I read about or what I listened to about from um, a Business Insider video about Blockbuster was that before the Netflix deal, they had the opportunity to deal with a cable company and become their own cable line. That's which, interesting. Which to me is one of those opportunities where it's like, here's an out for the future. And you would think that uh, any standard business company would think about how are they going to survive? How are they going to keep going? Partnering with a cable company and becoming your own line of cable makes a lot of sense to me. A hundred percent. Yeah. Then again, there's always that idea that we're a brick and mortar store. We're, we're, we're all about locations. I think also that's partially why our blockbuster was so successful in our town because it was honestly a hop and skip away from the high school it was right i oh my god like but then i have are you ready for failure number three let's go to it failure number three total access which in at the beginning total access wasn't a failure and it was a good idea blockbuster total access movies through the mail plus movies through the store one low price uh, ray i don't know are you sure clicking this thing will get us online well try dragging it mm. this is one of those rare moments where we could say blockbuster did actually try to compete and total access was their version of netflix mailing service Okay. Apparent, I think what the, how it happened is they purchased a mom and pop company doing online movie rentals for, I think, $25 million, mm -hmm. which is still less than the Netflix deal. Okay. And they purchased this company and they start doing Blockbuster Total Access. And that's their mail order service. And again, one advantage they had over Netflix was their archives and when total access launched it actually i believe was more successful than netflix for a brief moment in time the reason it failed is again because there so many of the blockbuster locations were franchisees mm -hmm. and the franchisees because the whole deal was that you would you could go online order movies they'd mail it to your house and then you can ship it you can bring it to the blockbuster to drop it off and they would mail it back which sounds perfect to me it now sounds as a grown-up. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of the franchisee store owners didn't want to do that. They didn't <laughs> trust it. And then here's another thing. they ha Blockbuster has an amazing archive of movies, but yeah, imagine how quickly – like, because part of the idea was they were hoping that if you place an order for a movie, it would connect you to a local store and that store would ship it to you. Mm -hmm. But the franchisees, again, didn't want to do that. 
I picture every single franchisee owner of Blockbuster. Let's see. By 1994, they had 9,000 locations, right? Yeah. So I just picture every franchisee owner, 9,000 people that look exactly the same. <laughs> like a man in his 60s who probably has like a button-down shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and it's in the Blockbuster blue, and the, the few top buttons are buttoned down, and he's definitely balding. I just, yeah. I just picture the same person running every single one of these Blockbusters. Yeah. I don't know. I don't trust the mail order. The DVD Probably has a, a mustache, broken. too. Yeah. I don't want the DVD to get broken. People just gotta come into the store. Mm, people are gonna get lazy, and they're gonna forget to bring it back. And Exactly. So, even though Total Access started out successful, it just couldn't keep up as more, like, these, they just, there was no unified connection. And I think, again, the problem is, there were a few people at Blockbuster making the right call, mm -hmm. but the overall attitude from the main execs was, we're a brick and mortar store, people will just come by from the store. And it's like, that's not going to last forever. And 2004 is their peak. Like, that's when they have the most locations. That's when they're making the most profit. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready for failure number four? Let's do it. Failure number four. It's the end of the late fees. I remember this commercial. I watched it today. Do you remember yeah. this commercial? No more late fees. You go right ahead. Take them, relax, enjoy more time, and less stress. It's so beautiful. I already downloaded this commercial. Yes! Oh my god. This would so, be the climax of the, the song that it induces the tragedy of the whole thing. I mean, it truly is like a Shakespearean play. Yeah. I think it was 2003 or 2004, Blockbuster decides to end their late fees, and it actually did a collective $20 million loss. Mm -hmm. But the idea was, because it wasn't even technically the end of late fees, what would happen is if you kept the movie past like two weeks, they just charged you for the whole movie. Right. And it's... also, like, it doesn't make sense to market that that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense to promote, like, hey, we're going to lose money over this thing. But also, we could get some money. It it just becomes, like, it, it just makes what was already a streamlined process into, like, a very confusing, arduous process of, like, well, now this person's just not going to get their movie back. Okay, well, now they need to order another copy for the next time somebody would like to order it. Yeah. uh-oh, you're charged two weeks later. Like, it becomes less clear what the method is. Yeah, I'll never forget when that happened. I would go to, because this was my, we'll, we'll go into more personal stories later, but I spent a lot of time at Blockbuster. And I Same. remember my mom saying, oh, this, there's still late fees. It's just now they'll charge you for the whole movie. So you better not keep it late. I'm not paying 30 bucks for this movie. Right, exactly. I'm not paying $30 getting... for Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. Well, at least it's for Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm okay with it. 
I was going to have to buy Sonic to watch it. And I was like, I don't think I can spend 18 bucks just to purchase Sonic. I'll wait a little you bit longer. You could make how many corn dogs, chili corn right. dogs with that money? Um, I would say at least seven. Seven's <laughs> a good guess. Yeah. <sighs> so the end of late fees, despite being like, I guess it garnered you know, attention, but it really cost them a lot. And it really, like you said, created this confusing mess of things. And then what happens? This is, you know, they fail to kind of jump on the action. And this is when Netflix is starting to kind of just slowly creep in and take over the market. Mm-hmm. In 2009, their, their fruitful year of their like final admittance they're like bleeding on the floor limbs are severed they lose over 500 million dollars in the stock market and netflix is up 116 million oh yeah yeah the last this is the nail in the coffin i believe for the Mm -hmm. death of blockbuster and this is failure number five terrible streaming service what's that so in 2010, I don't know if you knew about this, but I, I remember this fascinated me. In 2010, they get purchased by Dish. And their yes. last attempt to try and win over the Netflix customer base was to start a streaming service. Mm-hmm. But like I remember when Netflix started their streaming service, the irony with the Netflix streaming service is that the streaming aspect was just the extra feature. It was never originally intended to be the thing that becomes the core model for business. Right. Or the option that they gave was either or or both. And you would pay more for both. Yeah. But originally at first, like I remember Mm -hmm. because we had, I originally had Blockbuster All Access when that came out. Okay. And we loved it until it got bad because they kept, they were originally cheaper and had more movies. Okay. But like we, like I said, like, eventually they started to up the price and a lot of the franchise stores started stopped cooperating mm-hmm. so the the movie like library was a lot smaller and my mom was just like we're going to netflix right and once we had netflix we're like oh this is amazing because they said we jumped on the bandwagon as right. their library was getting really big well also netflix started to expand at the ripe time of our ages of 18 and 19 when we're moving into dorms for the first time and we still want to watch movies yeah and their streaming service i remember when they started the streaming service i didn't think much of it Mm -hmm. i just thought because like this was before you could host it on a television so it was like am i gonna sit here and watch it on a computer but then all of a sudden like the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360, there's a Netflix app for streaming. And this was at the point where initially streaming was included in the original mail package. It wasn't even an additional feature until, like, I would say later on. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's this, all of a sudden, this just, I think Netflix might have taken a hit financially at first, but the fact that streaming became what it was really garnered the customer base. And in 2010... Blockbuster's response was terrible. Yeah. Blockbuster's response, like, remember how I was saying, what really sold the idea of streaming was the fact that you could play it on your television. You can watch the movie now on your TV as if you had rented a DVD or Mm Blu-ray and just stream the movie from the convenience of your house. 
So Blockbuster's response was to make an app for streaming, but listen to how terrible this is. You couldn't stream it to your television. You could only stream it to your phone. What? And technically, it wasn't streaming because they Blockbuster tried to sell it as the higher quality streaming service. But the way also, they did that... we should set a reminder, too, that at this point, when they say, like, send it to your phone, nowadays you can watch YouTube videos and watch Netflix on your phone like it's no problem. But back then, it was still impossible to get the first smartphone. It was impossible to get the first iPhone. So you're thinking, like, 10 people tops? Yeah, not a lot of people in 2010 were going to watch an entire movie on their phone. Right. And so, you had to, it was an app on your phone where you could stream a movie, but, here's the but, it wasn't technically streaming, because what it would do is that you would download the movie to your phone as oh, a God. rental. Yeah, it would be a rental. It would only last, like... Nowadays, YouTube, Amazon, they all have a rental service, and it makes sense. You, right. you pay to unlock the streamable movie. You have Once you start the movie, you have 48 hours to watch the whole thing, but it's not downloaded to your entire hard drive. It is a streamed movie. Right. They just unlock it for you. Yeah. Blockbuster's quote-unquote streaming was literally you pay to rent the movie it downloads to your phone oh, you can god. only watch it on your phone oh, god. and then after 48 hours it deletes itself from your phone but i'm just picturing how little memory people had on their phones back then just the one iphone person that you know who had to get it as soon as it came out then that means that you can't have any photos, basically. Like, you can't have anything on the phone because you need to keep enough room for a Blockbuster video. Yeah, and what movie in 2010 were you going to download to your smartphone from Blockbuster? The Hangover, obviously. The Hangover? Oh, my God. <laughs> now you have it on the go. You can watch it briefly on your road trip, hopefully, yeah. if you downloaded it before you left the house. And it's like, at that point, you know what's funny is... All the steps they made you do, like you had to rent it from their app, mm -hmm. download it to your phone to watch. It's like you could have just done that with pirating. Totally. You, totally. You literally could have I... pirated a movie. And not only could you pirate the movie, but when you pirate the movie, you could probably play it on a television. Also, at that point, it was easier for me to like purchase things on Zune. <laughs> and watch yeah. things on my Zoom and not have to worry about downloading an entire video file and then it being taken off in two days. I watched all of the Invader Zim seasons on my Zoom. So I feel silly saying that, like that's of higher quality than Blockbuster because Zoom has also made, begun, gone absolutely but it made, but, but it made more sense. Like you used right. a rental service or a purchasing service that allowed you to stream things digitally at ease, not like this ridiculous fucking procedure. Exactly. It was more accessible for people to purchase the videos through their iPod or their Zune. I'm going to keep mentioning Zune. Um, and then watching it through there. Like there's no reason to go through the entire process on your phone. If you had an yeah. iPhone. Exactly. Oh, fucking Blockbuster, man. But it is funny to me that the last movie that they have 
on record for being rented was in 2013, and it was the aptly titled movie, This is the End, the James Franco and Seth Rogen movie. Oh my god, that's, that's sad. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm telling you, if, if you replaced the plot of Macbeth with Blockbuster and Netflix... It would still work. I mean, Netflix will eventually, I think, implode on itself. But the the story of Blockbuster is just so beautifully tragic that it feels like a Shakespearean protagonist. Yeah, it does. It's literally all these weird business moves. Like, mm-hmm. but like you said, so many opportunities to expand. Right. And even in the 90s, they partnered with Viacom for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. That still led to a $20 million loss, which at the time didn't seem like a big deal. But even that maneuver should have been something to propel them forward, and it still didn't happen. It's so weird how the difference between the 90s blockbuster and 2000s blockbuster was the 90s blockbuster was really like cutthroat, like business mongol sort of taking over small mom and pop shops, buying them out, destroying local businesses. And then in the 2000s, it's like they they saw themselves as so on top that they yeah. just stumble and fell the entire way. The whole time. And I don't know if you heard about this upon your research travels, but did you hear about the potential Blockbuster theme park? Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Blockbuster theme park. Okay, so... I have another story about the Blockbuster Block Party. Is this the same thing? Okay, tell me about the Block Party, because mine like pretty clearly states that it's a theme park. What's the Block okay. Party? In 1994, Blockbuster, and this is another fucking thing, they actually invested money into this. Oh, really? Blockbuster invested money into an idea called the Blockbuster Block Party, which would basically consisted of filling a giant building with a bunch of adult activities it was supposed to be like a giant arcade it was supposed to be like a giant arc it was like a a dave and busters i'm pretty positive that the theme park is separate that's another thing they wanted to do yes so the idea was they would have like an arcade rides movie theaters and laser tag but all catered to adults and would serve alcoholic beverages I actually think that that makes a lot of sense. If they had gone in that direction, I would get it. That makes sense to me. Like, yeah, because that you know what's funny is that's also kind of the answer to the movie problem, like movie yeah. theater problem. You provide an experience you can't get at home. Why would you convince? Like the only people going to movies really, I mean, during the pandemic, are cinephiles mm-hmm. and me going to drive-ins, which is safe. You're supposed to be distant. Don't go to the theater. Unless you rent a private theater. Right. But it's like, this whole Blockbuster Block Party sounds like a brilliant maneuver. Right. And I'm thinking about, you know, when I was a kid and I would go to see a movie with my family, we always wanted to go to the arcade either before or after we went to see the movie. So it would make sense to me that you would combine those experiences Exactly. And it was so weird that they invested millions into this concept and just uh, abandoned it. They just said stop. They just said, we're done here. Now tell me, please tell me about 
the theme park. And was the theme park in Albuquerque? Okay, I don't know much about it. I just know that there were plans to make a blockbuster theme park. And I don't think that they got far, but they did develop drawings and illustrations for a theme park. And I wonder, I, I saw it in the Business Insider video that I watched um, and it was wild. There's like a hill in the center with the Blockbuster ticket logo on top. Like it's Mount Olympus or something. And then everything else kind of like trails out from that central point. But I wonder if you can find the schematics on Google. Let's see. Park. We're going to take a look. Yeah, so I see the same picture. <laughs> And it looks like, okay, known to the irreverent as Wayne's World, Blockbuster Park was a giant sports and theme park complex proposed for Broward County by Blockbuster Video Store's owner, H. Wayne Hazinga, who took it over from the original owner, Cook. Um, uh-huh. While the park was working its way through zoning and permitting and tax concessions were being pondered by the legislature, Wayne sold Blockbuster to Viacom which nixed the project. Interesting. Viacom would become theme park owners anyway with the acquisition of Paramount, and that company had already developed parks. That makes... that So it's interesting because some of these business decisions are smart ones. Getting acquired by Viacom makes sense, but it's mm-hmm. fascinating to think that that might have been the very first step in the wrong direction. Right. And it says that um, the one that you mentioned, the Blockbuster Golf and Games FEC, is not this development. So they are two separate, separate huge endeavors that somebody just goes pass on. That's insane. It's crazy. That's fucking bizarre. Like, oh, my God. Um, separately, I'm just seeing this because it's it's interesting to me. There was a canceled Orlando project called Hurricane World. Can't imagine why that went wrong. Yeah, that's not nice to no. put a theme park based on hurricanes in a state that's constantly hit by hurricanes. Yeah, not a great idea. No wonder why that no. didn't pass. But that's just one that I have to share. What if, like, I would love something like that, honestly. Yeah. I would have oh loved my. a blockbuster theme park. You yeah. have all these attractions that are themed after movies. How fun would that yeah, be? Exactly. I think to kind of put a bow on the story of the failure of Blockbuster in a nice ending, there is still one store in Oregon. Then it's yes. known as the last Blockbuster. Where Joe and I have family. You should go. Apparently, in the start of 2020, they planned. I don't know if it's still happening because of COVID, but... You could have apparently through Airbnb and a joint venture between Airbnb and the Blockbuster, you and three friends can stay up to three nights at the Blockbuster for four nights a person. No, four dollars per person. I would love that. Have you, you looked- stay in the Blockbuster, you can you know that you can rent and watch any movies you want. It's it, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Have you looked at the Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon? Have you looked it up? I've seen it. I've seen okay. bits of it. I sort of pictured for some reason that it would have been completely fossilized in what Blockbuster looked like when we were kids, but it actually looks more like a museum. Yeah. Yeah, it is like 
a beautiful museum with the Blockbuster logo on it. And when I saw that you could stay at it for a few nights, I think that they're still doing it. Um, Somebody should look into that for us. Uh, Maybe Julia, because she's in Oregon. That'd be great. But Hey, Julia. Hey, Julia. Look up Blockbuster for us. So um, when I come visit eventually, we could go stay there. But, um, I mean, that seems like a lot of fun to me. Like, that sounds like finally just like a hatchling of a good idea to cater to what people want now. Yeah. And it's, but that's the thing at this point, it's not even Blockbuster, the company, it's the franchisee owner who still runs this one solo store in Oregon that I really hope stays afloat. I'm holding, (laughs) man, what a, what a journey Blockbuster put us through. Do you remember, and I actually completely forgot about it until we started recording. Do you remember when Pokemon Snap came out on Nintendo 64 and you could go bring your Pokemon Snap cartridge to a Blockbuster and pay to have your photos in the game turned into stickers that you could pay for? I didn't know you could do that. Oh my god, it was the best! It was so exciting! That's so fucking cool. I know we still have photo booths nowadays, but I don't think people remember that a lot of photo booths when we were younger wouldn't give you photos. They would give you stickers. That's amazing. the Pokemon Snap stickers that you would get at Blockbuster were that same kind of thing. It was the same photo with multiple printouts, and they were super teeny tiny. I think I might have had one on one of my Game Boys. Like... It was such a fun experience to take pictures in the game and then bring them to the Blockbuster and then they became real photos that you could play with and put on your things. That's insane. It kind of, like... it instilled that like fantasy element of being a kid where you're seeing Pokemon and you know it's not real, but being able to turn those pictures into a real tangible thing made you feel for a second that this could be real. No, I agree. It definitely... Yeah. So I remember you could be, you were able to rent the, like, an entire game console back then from Blockbuster. Like, I used to rent the N64 until I actually got the N64. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't don't remember doing that. I think we just got whatever. We usually just used a birthday, and it was like, yeah, this birthday we want a PlayStation. Yeah. Like... Video games, we shouldn't detract how big video game rentals were also for Blockbuster, especially in the PlayStation 2 era. Mm-hmm. Like, that was huge. I remember our Blockbuster's video game section. And it especially became big then because at that point, the GameCube and PlayStation 2, you relied on memory cards. So you could have your memory card and go rent a game. You didn't need to purchase the game to have your file. Yeah, you can literally rent it long enough to beat the whole game. Right, exactly. And I that remember, went... like, renting Animorphs on PlayStation 2. Yeah. And, like, that made that made the video game industry try to make a solo campaign as replayable as possible mm-hmm. so that you didn't rely on renting it. You would buy the game. I think that that's the thing that is still hurting from the loss of Blockbuster, because movies 
obviously had gone on and graduated to Netflix and other streaming services, but there still was never something to replace the experience of going to Blockbuster and renting a video game. There were a few sites that tried to do this, and now obviously like, you can just download games on like the system. Like Gamefly? Do you remember Gamefly? That's what it was. It was Gamefly. I knew there was one. It was just weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now... Now, yeah, it's, it is very different, but I think now we should just share some stories from our time at Blockbuster because I... This, like, I've always loved video stores and video rentals, but specifically, I would say 2002 mm -hmm. to 2006 was primarily when I was going to Blockbuster all the time and renting. This is when I got, like, the core of my horror movie watches in was just my mom would rent because Blockbuster did do this really cool thing in the 2000s called Movie Pass. Okay. Where you, you would pay a subscription and you could rent like two movies at a time and then keep those movies. And then when you wanted to rent another set of movies, you would return those two movies and get two more movies. See, that makes sense to me. And it worked for a little bit. And that's, I remember that summer when they first launched it, I would ride my bike every single day to the Blockbuster on the way there because they just built the new subway. You know which subway, the one on Jericho right by where Blockbuster used to be. Oh, yeah. I would ride my bike to the subway, get two foot-long sandwiches, and then go to Blockbuster, rent two movies, then go home and watch those movies and eat Subway. <laughs> this reminds me to our conversation about the middle school dances where you were like, you realized I ate too much Subway and Taco Bell. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but, like, also, Blockbuster, this is also another thing that, like, I, I remember I talked to, like, coworkers about this. Mm -hmm. We we don't have the video store guy anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, Blockbuster had very specifically that one... I forgot his name, but there was one kid. There's always one person. He was one, like, nerdy kid, wore glasses, brownish hair, with a goatee, and he would help me pick out horror movies to watch. And if they didn't have it at the store, he would place the order in to have it shipped to the store so I could rent it. And that, like, that's amazing. He's the reason I watched, like, he's the guy who said, because I literally just watched all the Friday 13th movies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what else should I watch? And he goes, well, have you ever seen The Evil Dead? And oh, I was like, no. yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, so he literally, they only had, I think, two and three. So he literally said, I'm going to get you the first one. Okay watch all these movies and like i was just blown away and then he uh he then he recommended rocky horror picture show oh and i remember being so confused by rocky horror picture show i know i was confused the first time i watched it too and he i remember him that's when i first heard the term he said oh it's a cult classic mm. and i was like a cult classic <laughs> a cult classic you say a classic of uh. cult but that video store guy is the foundation. Not he's not the, but he's a part of the foundation for my like horror movie obsession. Right, that was and like a I, classic part of the interaction of going to a blockbuster. Absolutely. I feel like I really miss even now the tactile experience of going to the store, picking out a video and holding it in my hands. 
and then it being this object that I have this new responsibility for and that it must be returned in two days. And I think that that's something that is missing about accessibility and streaming is that you don't feel that tangible, like, I'm holding this and I am responsible for it now. I will watch it and then I have to rewind it and return it. Exactly. Um, I think by the time that we were in high school, that's when I was free to do what I wanted, but also I didn't really go that far. I felt like there was a lot happening in our hometown where I could just walk around on a Saturday, listen to my CD player or my iPod mini, and I would go to the Vito's Bakery for a cookie. Do you remember Vito's? Yes. Oh my gosh. I would go to Vito's for a cookie. I'd go to the library. I'd go to Blockbuster. And back then they had the four for 20 deal. Mm. Which was when a new movie comes out and they stock the shelves with those new movies. Eventually, they're only going to have two or three of them up when it stops being the new release. So what do you do with all those extra copies? You'd sell them in the four for 20 bin. And that's where Alyssa and I would get a lot of our indie movies because we would just look at things and be like, I remember that person's face. I remember this person's face. That's this person. I'm going to get eight of these. Yeah. And then we're just going to watch five of them tonight and see which ones are any good. You know what's funny about Blockbuster 2? Towards the end of its life cycle, I would say like 2009 or so, because this was when midnight launches for video games were were pretty big like you would go to gamestop and the line would be out the door okay a little secret that my friends and i discovered was that blockbuster also did this but nobody knew so you could just walk into a blockbuster at midnight and buy the game with ease oh that's a good point for us also you know we were pretty young and the only way you could really get like nintendo things like little mario plushies where if you order them from Nintendo Power, but that takes too long. So they would have toys at Blockbuster. That's where I got my card captor set. Nice. I, I still have that. I'm looking right at it. That was one thing that I was like, I will never get rid of this. I bought the card captor book, which is just like a plastic version of it. But it has the card captor card set, and I'm so glad I still have that. That's amazing. Card captors are an unsung hero of the magical girl anime uh, genre. I know that like some deep anime fans love it. I know Sailor Moon is like, you know, that's everybody's favorite. But card captors, that's where the party's at. I dig that. Yeah. Man, like just how long could you spend in a blockbuster? I would spend forever hours yeah. at a blockbuster. Yeah, just going just up and browsing. down those aisles deciding which four for 20 I was going to get. Yeah. And if you hit them at the right time, you'd get some really good gems. Like, that's how I have my Burn After Reading DVD of Once, which we should cover at some point because that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just so many. I mean, like, yeah, some are definitely, you know, some duds. Like that weird movie where Hilary Duff plays a Middle Eastern woman. And John Cusack is in it. Oh I never... my god. Oh. Yeah. 
Also, Hilary Duff just picks some bad movies. She picks some bad movies. I like her, but sometimes I'm like, who are you letting make decisions for you? So, you remember 2019, there was the Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know exactly what you're talking about. Which was a respectable yes. reinterpretation of the summer of 1969 with the story of Sharon Tate. Yes, and given consent by Sharon Tate's family. Also, a kind like the ending right. is kind of beautiful. It does paint a beautiful picture of somebody who yeah. was this just charismatic, wide-eyed yeah. Hollywood darling. Right. So separately, for, despite the fact that he is a weird, creepy man, Quentin Tarantino pulled off a fairly respectable adaptation of this story. Right. But we cannot say the same for Hilary Duff. And please explain why Hilary Duff merges with the Sharon Tate story. Because Hilary Duff. Oh, no. It's weird, too, because she just doesn't fit the look the way that... Like, she's smaller. She's more petite. She still looks exactly the way she did as a kid. Margot Robbie fits the bill as Sharon Tate. She she was perfect as Sharon Tate. Yeah. And um, in the same year... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this came out first yeah but everybody's <laughs> known up. about quentin tarantino's movie he's been talking about it for years it was one of those things where we're like quit talking about it tarantino just make it just already. make the movie yeah so they could have at but... any point pulled out so in 2019 <laughs> a movie was released called the haunting of sharon tate it's just awful horror... it's just pushing all the trauma forward it's a horrific retelling of the murders, starring Hilary Duff as Sharon Tate. But there's more to it, though. There's, like, a oh, supernatural no. element to it? Yes, there's a supernatural element to it. It's it's just the most, un, like, disrespectful. Right. Not, like, self-aware piece of cinema ever made. Right. And there are going to be movies that always weirdly want to coincide with a historical tragedy. Like I'm thinking of Remember Me where they just throw that ending in there. They did the Remember Me. But at least <laughs> at least there is some historical reality to it whereas The Haunting of Sharon Tate was just like Let's just throw some supernatural premonitions in there. Uh, she has visions of her imminent death. Right. And it's not like there is any journal writings. There's nothing. There's no articles of Sharon Tate's where she explicitly says in a weird cogn- like precognitive kind of way, like, I think I'm going to die soon. It holds no water. It's awful. It's so sad, and I know that her family has spoken out against that film. I think Hilary Duff is not a bad person. I think that she, based on, like, some privilege as a white woman who has had a successful career enough, just makes choices without thinking about it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> to comment on this... People have had too much of an obsession 
with Charles Manson. Yeah. And the Helter Skelter. Yeah. Helter Skelter. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. These people Right. The 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 Manson family are some of the dumbest fucking people. Right. Charles Manson is a stupid lunatic. Yeah, I think we should not fetishize him anymore. We need to stop fetish like I I was genuinely happy that Tarantino did not fetishize him in any way. And as a matter of fact, that ending, because I remember when that movie came out, there was people criticizing the movie, saying that it's um a it is it is how do they put it? There was and this is a very far stretch. I don't think most people believe this, but there was some people saying that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is offensive because it's about capitalist elitists taking out free-loving uh, people. And I'm like... Yeah, but the free-loving people are Charles Manson's followers. Yeah, because yeah. they're saying, well, look, if you watch the movie without the context, it's literally just people beating up on, like, you know, freedom fighters. And it's like, no, 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 no. Because we know the context of the story. This right. isn't what you think. This is literally... Somebody saying "fuck you" to this ridiculously stupid, disillusioned group of idiots. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing else. What nothing I, else. What I do love about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that um, has kind of like become the like slow burning thing that people have paid attention to after that movie's release is Brad Pitt. I mean, oh, just a plus being Brad Pitt. And, like, revitalizing, like, 60s Brad Pitt as just, like, another American hunk. Like, here he is, again, revitalized as the Hollywood hunk. But now he's in his 60s, and he can still take that shirt off like a champ. Oh, yeah, he can. Yeah. (laughs) I think even Quentin Tarantino was like, okay, we need you to do, like, a scene where you take off the shirt. And he's like, yep. And it's just like, that's how he does it. That is a gift. Did you know that Matt Smith played Marilyn Manson? Not Charles Manson in a movie. I do. It came out also around the same time. It it also starred this actress, Hannah Murray, who I know Hmm. from. She's she's from Skins, I think. Okay. Is it Skins? I I never really want. Yeah, it was Skins. Skins. Okay. I did. She played Casey on Skins. Uh, Cassie on Skins. Okay. I loved her. She was one of my favorite characters on Skins. But, oh my God, just. Yeah. America, stop caring about Charles Manson. I think in general, a- like any time some aggressive jerkwad who makes an album that's rejected, just don't listen to anything or follow any of his instructions for the next several years. Like, I'm thinking about how, like, Hitler got rejected from art school and wrote a book that failed miserably. Like, any time that some asshole who makes some, like, sort of aggressive artistic expression that gets rejected, just do not listen to him for several yeah. years. Also, having gone down the rabbit hole of learning the whole story, Charles Manson, because that's the thing, people fetishize him. Mm-hmm. As some genius, poetic, like, individual, some freedom fighter who had this brilliant plan. And it's like, first of all, no, his plan was garbage and it was very racist. Sure. And it's like, second of all, he was an idiot. He was making shit up, shit up on the fly. Like, Right, it's not so... like his plan would be any better if he was racially inclusive. <laughs> yeah, 
And it's like, it's so... Here's the thing, like, I wouldn't even give him credit for the killings. No. He, I don't even think he knew it happened. Like, he literally <laughs> was like, whoa, man, what'd you do? Oh, no, no. Like, that's literally Charles Manson. It's like, oh, why'd you gone do that? Oh, God. Like, that's Charles Manson. He's just a goddamn lunatic who just... <laughs> a lord, Like, this is the failure of the 60s, and this is like the thing I'm going to keep harping on. Uh, the hippie movement in the Summer of Love failed because now a bunch of delus- disillusioned adults who didn't have enough stake in the civil rights movement to actually do anything important mm-hmm. started following weird cults and Jesus freaks. Right. And then they have become resentful over time for that level of freedom not leading them to any sort of actually validating self-actualization. And then they just became angry boomers. Who yep, are on Facebook this, today. Yep, this co- this this podcast was secretly an attack on boomers. <laughs> boomers killed Blockbuster. Boomers were boomers fell for Charles Manson. Boomers are dumb. I'm so excited for when we have kids. Like our whole generation collectively has kids because I'm so curious to see how we become the older generation who is difficult to change their ways. And our new fight will be like, you don't know what hard is. We were in a pandemic. But also, they're going to be like, enough with the boomers. The boomers are all gone, Dad. Stop blaming (laughs) everything on the boomers. It's the boomers. (laughs) I can't wait for that day. Like, some kid is going to be like, oh, yeah, we get it. It's the boomers' fault. All right, Dad. Oh, man. We got lost track from Blockbuster, but no, I think it's, it's all good. a part of it. I think it's yeah, good. Yeah, because it's about movies. It's, it's about, about movies. movies. And I think for too long in Hollywood movies, we did idolize or put a lot of romantic Credence. yeah, involvement into the whole Charles Manson thing and like cult things and like, well, I don't know. Um I'm not about that life, but no, <laughs> it's still something that had been, I mean, like there was a law and order episode that's basically like the Charles Manson idea of like starting a cult and then making your followers do it. Hey, how you doing? My name's Charlie. <laughs> I watched this TikTok video of a girl who is like every law and order episode ever. And she's like, sorry, cops. I can't answer your questions right now. I don't know what happened to the guy. I'm a nanny for the worst kid in the world. Charlie, get off the playground. (laughs) Stop trying to bite your friends. And then that's just the end of the episode. (laughs) That's amazing. It was good. I love that. um, I love my Charles Manson voice. So I looked up stupid quotes he said. Mm -hmm. And again, people fetishize it because I wrote... Stupid things Charles Manson said. The first thing that comes up is 30 Charles Manson quotes that are weirdly thought-provoking. Ew! Nothing this man said was thought-provoking. No. Nothing. What's wrong with people? This is why Just... we keep letting white men get away with bad things. <sighs> this is it. This is what happens to us. Brittany can't live her fucking life. But we're all like... Shouldn't we feel a little bad for Charles Manson? No! No, we shouldn't! Alright, I'm gonna read a really stupid quote. Please do. uh, Something really stupid he once said. Alright, this is something Charles Manson said. I just, it makes no fucking sense. Okay, go for it. I I actually don't know anything that he said. I just knew he was obsessed with Helter Skelter by the Beatles and wrote a very shitty album. 
Well, this is how dumb his fucking followers were when they committed the murder. She wrote Helter Skelter on the wall. She wrote it wrong. She misspelled Helter Skelter. That's very upsetting. This is something Charles Manson once said. <clears throat> Look down at me, you see a fool. Look up at me, you see a god. Look straight at me, you see yourself. Shut up. What a Shut dick up, wad. you stupid dick. God. You stupid dickhead. Oh, he'd have such a shitty conspiracy HTML site now if he was alive. Like, if, if Charles Manson was around today as, like, a regular person... He would just have, like, a really shitty conspiracy theory HTML site. I can't believe I type in stupid things Charles Manson said, and there's still, like, people. People. I know. Stop giving credence to this idiot. I know. He wasn't even the guy that, like, like... It was an awful, awful tragedy, but really it was his, I forgot the guy's name. It was his, it was one of the guys, it was like the only other guy that followed Manson. Right. He was the one that was brutal and did the murder. Aside. Like, I'm not giving. Oh, sorry, go what's ahead. What's up? No, go ahead. I was going to say like, I'm not condoning it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like it's still awful and terrible and they're all awful people, but it's like they fetishized Manson for being this like provocator this anti-establishment it's like he was just an idiot separately i feel very similarly <laughs> about andy warhol like a lot of people's lives and careers were ruined because of andy warhol and yeah. i mean we could go on i could go on a whole art history rant about how a lot of famous men in history in art history have done terrible things they're throughout their entire lives but separately andy warhol developed this cult-like level of followers and it led to the demise of so many budding artists because they would bring him their ideas and a lot of times he would just take them and destroy them or he'd take them and not give them credit and people would just follow him i mean he had the factory that was always filled with people partying and doing drugs and also like you know his work although i think stands some anchor in history he's just a shitty person yeah who said a lot of shitty dumb stuff yeah yeah uh this quote i think is the only lick of truth charles manson ever spoke okay and it's still full of shit but he said i was so smart when i was a kid that i learned that i was dumb fast it's like yeah you are dumb that's the only factual thing you've ever said i can just see that as a facebook image with like a sunrise over a mountainscape that kind of thing that people just post on their facebook probably something james duffy shares and thinks it's serious ew Ew, (laughs) yeah we'll have to we'll have to to cut that out out. that's fine um tom yeah should we should we ask our final questions (laughs) yes let's ask our final questions do you think Blockbuster would be successful today? No. No. Hey, I, I hope I hope the best for the Oregon store and I hope that they <clears throat> do they could literally do what all the original Blockbuster ideas were. Yeah. Like make a theme park, make an adult. I was going to like, say that would work. I think that they have to, if they were to do anything is to like resuscitate themselves on the archival history of who they were. Yes. Yeah. 
but like the blockbuster company and franchisee yeah no no, I just like absolutely not. As I was asking you the question, I was just like, obviously it's not gonna work now, especially with COVID. Like nobody's gonna go to a store where people are touching multiple copies of the same movie. Yeah. Also, I apologize. My neighbors are throwing rocks. Okay. Okay. You know I what? We all gotta understand. get through the pandemic somehow. It's just some people. It's throwing rocks. <laughs> <laughs> What, what? I hear this shit and I'm like, what are they doing? I don't know. So, so Courtney, yes. do you think it would stand? Do you think it would still work today? I'm so curious if they could turn it into like a pop-up art experience, like the Rose Mansion or going to one of like Yayoi Kusuma's uh, mirror rooms. Like if they turned Blockbuster into an interactive experience, I think that they could actually do some damage. Like, some good damage. Instagram would eat that shit up. Oh, yeah. Also, I would eat that up. I would bring my Polaroid camera. I would buy t-shirts. So, I think that that should be, you know, post-COVID, their next move should be to create one of those, like, interactive social media experiences. You know? They could have... So many, like, frilly things that are supposed to be filmed coming out of the VCR tapes. That's what I think. Oh, yeah. I agree. But never Uh, as, like, what it was. That's never happening again. No, it it can't. No. Alright, well, do you want to ask the follow-up question? Sure. Tom? Yes? What has been your weekly obsession? I don't know, to be honest. No. WandaVision. WandaVision? WandaVision. Now that a few more episodes are coming out, I'm, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I do think it's a little weird how Elizabeth Olsen's accent when she first appeared was so heavy. And mm-hmm. then I think maybe just after being exhausted of doing that, it's just calmed down a lot. I don't know why they had to give her an accent in the first place. I'm sure there's a whole reason for it. I, they could have just bypassed it and made her American. I think because that was um, that was Joss Whedon. Because he, he did that movie. He did Age of Ultron. But what's funny is that if... Yeah, it's a good question. And I would just say give WandaVision a shot because that gets brought up. Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I want uh, all of the success for Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, I've loved since um, A Knight's Tale. I mean, he's really such a knockout in that. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you like it. A lot of people seem, you know, really into it. Oh, yeah. And I want to give a shout out to my favorite, favorite character, Randall Park. He's so good. Randall Park is amazing. Yeah. He plays uh, the FBI detective. What's his name in the show? Um, Jimmy Woo. Fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic. Also, surprised that how much I like Kat Dennings in the show. I like Kat Dennings. Wait, wasn't she in Thor? She was in Thor and Thor 2. She was unbearable in Thor 2, but like she, they bring her back. Does she play the same person? She plays the same person, okay. but she's she's like actually... like. It's her. Let me see. I don't think that they utilize her properly in the Thor movies. To be completely no, she honest, she's a very good they actress. Didn't... They don't give her enough credit. Yeah. 
they didn't utilize her very well, but in this show, she's it's like her, Randall Park, and um, and um, well, it's her, Jimmy Woo, and M- Monica. The three characters mm-hmm. have like this really cool dynamic where they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Okay, and it's like these characters are just. I would just watch the three of them in their own like X Files type show. Yeah, That'd be great. I love Randall Park. Um, people who have not really had anything that. I've not really seen anything that he's in. Um, watch Fresh Off the Boat or Always Fresh Be My Maybe. Fresh Off the Boat was great. Yeah, Always Be My Maybe is one of my favorite movies. Um, he punches Keanu Reeves, <laughs> which is so much fun. Um, also, he's Asian Jim in the later seasons of yeah. The Office. Congrats. Um, Good on you for not seeing race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not Jim. And then Pam comes up to him and kisses him and they change the photos. That's amazing. Oh, so good. Randall Park is great. Yeah. Well, what about you? What's been your weekly obsession? I'm still obsessed with the Golden Globes. Um, I feel Fair. like uh, my original concerns that I had brought up were personal. Like, they were all based on things that I was feeling, but there have been a lot more conversations about the cultural and ableist implications of the nominees that they chose. Um, specifically, one that I've ranted about frequently on my personal Instagram, which is the movie Music. That movie <laughs> continues to surprise people with how insulting it is. Oh my god. Um, I mean, there's so much wrong with it. Don't have a dancer who has never acted before, who is great at dancing and executing movement, try to act like an individual with autism spectrum disorder because her mind will immediately go to the physical attributes of being someone with autism spectrum disorder. And then she just ends up turning them into the sort of like minstrel mockery of it. Um, there are also some possibilities that she's supposed to be biracial, uh, which is a I new mean, development. You know, it's, there's literally an industry full of talented actors right. who are on the autistic spectrum who you could have very easily casted with their experience. And, and maybe somebody on the staff or the crew who could have been like, Hey, I'm autistic and I'm very familiar with the spectrum. This, this, this is not, this is not what, what are you doing? Yeah. Hire an advocate to be the representative while you're going through the script or something. I mean, there was this show a few years ago that hired Zach Anner as one of their main writers. And there's an episode of Drunk History where they're talking about um, a lot of the protests by um, people who live with disabilities to include more federal income for people with disabilities. And they have Zach Anner in it, and they have a whole cast in the Drunk History episode of people with disabilities. Like, there are things that you can do. There are plenty of people with disabilities who would love an opportunity to work on a film set, so give them the chance to do it. Don't just shut them yeah. out. And then also, also yeah. I was going to say, also, an in act of, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, now my brain's broken. That's <laughs> okay. An, ad- oh, an advocate does not include a fanatic mom with a sign. Yes. Yeah. 
hire some people who actually do this for a living, hire somebody who lives with it. Um, also, like if you have Leslie Odom Jr. working in your movie, why would you insult the man by being like, he's an immigrant now? Like, let's just slap on an accent. I just think he's such a great actor. He's such an amazing performer. Like, why would you even put that context on him when it's not necessary? And all of these characters are just supposed to be, like, the magical, mystical figures for Kate Hudson's character to, like, figure out something about life. Separately, why was Lin-Manuel Miranda nominated for Hamilton and not David Diggs or Leslie Odom Jr.? Like, they nominated Leslie Odom Jr. for another role that, like, nobody has seen as... I, I just... There were a lot of decisions that were made for the Golden Globes. Um, they made Minari a foreign film movie because less than 50% of the movie is spoken in English, so it immediately is considered a foreign film, even though it was shot in the That's U.S. Insane. Which... That's <laughs> just seems ridiculous. It is. So, um... I, well, do you remember yeah. when? Yes. Do you remember when they nominated? Didn't they nominate? Get they nominated Get Out for Best Comedy? Oh my God! I think you're right. Didn't the Golden Globes nominate Get Out for Best Comedy because they refused to just have a horror genre? Let me, let me look this up. Because I, I and then like confirm. people defended it. They're like, "Oh, it was funny. There was funny moments." I'm like, "You way to really devalue and delegitimize." Oh my god, yes. The impact, yeah. Yes. To, like, like I hated the people who were like, "Well, it was funny. It was technically no." I'm like, no, 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 no. It is a horror movie. Jordan Peele did not set out to have everybody have a laugh in a bit about racism. Right. Also, like nominating it for a musical or a comedy just because of these, like, little moments or because they don't have a horror or they don't acknowledge horror movies or just because, like, Jordan Peele used to have a career in comedy until Hollywood made him hate it. Like, that doesn't feel good. That doesn't sound good. And I'm just amazed by the decisions that they made. At first, I was amazed by, like, personal response, like, in my personal own perspective on like what movies should have been nominated and what movies are probably going to win but there's also a lot of cultural and um ableist implications as well that I just wanted to unpack a little bit more also I feel like between Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman passing they've never acknowledged anything else he's done and now that he's passed they're putting him in the nominees, and he's probably just going to get it because he passed, and I don't think that's fair that they never really acknowledged him while he was living. Yeah, no, that you're right. Yeah. So. So fucking absurd. I am obsessed with the awards again. <laughs> and that's. Don't get too caught up. That's it's it. a little, it, don't get too caught up, but I, I understand where you're coming from. I know, I have been a little bit obsessed with um, keeping up with what's happening in it. And I think now that we've gone over this and I've said it again in another episode, I'm going to try to chill out for a little bit because the award ceremonies are just going to be as dumb as they always are. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Well, honestly, with that, I think... We're, is it fair to wrap the episode? I think it's fair. We started with movies and now we have ended on movies. 
Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode today on Blockbuster. And a little extra we talked about a lot today. Dun, 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 dun. But with that, be sure to listen to us. Well, you are listening to us. <laughs> Find us on the Just Spotify. Keep, consider keep, keep listening to us. Keep considering. Consider it. So you, Amazon, YouTube, Google, iTunes, because the Apple people wouldn't shut up about it. Dun, 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 dun. Shut up. Okay. Not you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm yelling at the Apple people. Tom's telling me to shut up. No. Leave Brittany alone. <laughs> Leave Brittany alone. Chris Crocker. Oh, but yes. Yeah. People beat up on him real bad, too. I know. And you know what? He was right. He was right. <laughs> he knew before everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Good on him. All right, guys. But, uh, be sure to also follow us on the Instagram, remember the 00S podcast, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Dun, 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 dun. That is, that is, that is, that's all. That's, that's it, guys. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah, this is great. Spiders. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Spider-Man has arrived at Blockbuster, and we've got the best way to bring the movie home. Buy it on DVD or video and get a full-week rental absolutely free. Plus, you're automatically entered to win a Blockbuster exclusive, a life-size replica of the web-slinger himself. One lucky winner will be picked from every store. So buy the movie, get a free rental, and a chance to win a limited-edition Spider-Man replica. It's a great deal, and it's only at Blockbuster.